Attention everyone, this is an emergency broadcast. The unpleasant noise you are about to hear coming from your radio is not a mistake. Please do not turn off your radio, but turn up the volume on your receiver as high as it can go so that you can make the sound we broadcast as loud as possible. The monsters will now start attacking Tokyo. You may wish to deny it, but your eyes tell you it's true. Sound. I'll turn up the sound so you can hear the monsters dueling to the deck. Why, hello, and welcome to episode 191 of the Kaiju Cast, a podcast 100% dedicated to Godzilla and all of his rubber suited foes. My name is Kyle, and this is the second episode of December 2017 and our Daikaiju discussion for the South Korean epic Dragon Wars. Make sure to stick around after the discussion because we do have a few news items that should be shared before the end of the year. But before we begin, we do have some requests. Did you know that earlier this month, the 1976 King Kong remake celebrated its 40th anniversary? Well, Clancy knew, and because of that, he wanted to hear John Barry's opening credits from King Kong.
Now, for those of you who are interested in the music we play on the show, like I said, we started things off with the opening titles to the 1976 King Kong remake, and then we followed that up with a song called Arirang, composed by Steve Jablonski, and that was for Dragon Wars, which can only mean that, once again, class, it is time for our Daikaiju discussion. Every month, the Kaiju cast takes a look at one particular film from the giant monster landscape and tasks the listeners with submitting their thoughts, questions, and reviews for the following discussion episode. This month, we are covering another Korean film. You might be saying to yourself, but Kyle, didn't we just watch another Korean monster movie only four months ago? Yes. Yes, we did. And you know what we get for adding movies to the list that late in the game? We get Dragon Wars. Dragon Wars, or D-War, as it has been pseudo-named, is a film made in 2007 by South Korean director Shim Hyung-rae. Now, we don't really cover a lot of Korean filmmakers on this podcast, but check it out. He actually made the god-awful reptilian, a.k.a. Yungari, in 1999. Now, I'll just add some quotation marks around that, because we all know that... Uh, what was made in Korea and what we saw as the finished product here in the States wasn't exactly the same. So I'll give them some benefit of the doubt. This movie is an insane anomaly within modern cinema because it's a big, big budget Korean picture with a majority of its first camera footage shot in the Los Angeles area with American actors. Now, not A-listers or anything, you have probably recognized some of these actors. They've been in shows like The Office, Parks and Rec, and Roswell. So I've been told. These are actors that you won't recognize from many other things. They aren't big name stars, but they did get their shot at entertaining audiences in Dragon Wars. And at least in this genre, when have we ever seen that really before? I guess I'll also add quotation marks to the word genre here because Dragon Wars is only tangentially related two kaiju movies, I would say. But because we have our friends Yongari, The Host, and Reptilian already on the list, let's go find out what's happening on the battlefront. It began as a legend. Unimaginable. Something unexplainable. This thing we know about. We can only conclude that it's foreign in nature. We're talking about deploying armed forces in a major city. I need to know exactly what the hell we're up against. Something extraordinary. You said it was big. You would say it was something that could swallow a bus. Will turn our world into a battlefield. Joining me here in the studio, we have Brian and Rachel. 
Hello. Hi. And Charles is here, and we just, of course, finished watching Dragon War. Uh, I guess it's technically it's Dragon Wars colon D War, which is a South <laughs> <Double> Korean <it up. laughs> a South Korean kaiju ish kind of fantasy film set in a modern era. Interesting discussion to follow, I'm sure. Uh, let's start off by saying who here had never seen this before. I had not. Okay, so Charles, you... No, not at all. No? Brian? Oh, yeah, I'd seen it. Okay, yeah. yeah. I'd seen it a few times, yeah. and I have I have plenty to say about this <laughs> film. Well, I don't have that much, actually, which is probably good in the long run. Uh, but Brian, you had seen it before. How many times before you walked into the studio today? Uh, just the one time. I... Uh... When you work at a movie theater, you have to see every single movie that comes out, and this was one of them. This played in theaters? Yes, it did. Wow. In American theaters? In an American theater, yes. And this was in Colorado? Yeah, yeah. It wow. got a national release, yeah. I did not know that that had <laughs> yeah. actually made it to the theaters. Uh, this is pre-Kaiju Cast time. This was actually during the time when I was taking my little siesta from giant monster stuff at the yeah. at the time because this movie came out in 2007 um so d- i'm just curious did you know anything about it when it came out or did you just see oh no there's a giant korean monster movie i knew a little bit about it my memory is very hazy i remember it was kind of a big hit in south korea and that's i could be totally wrong about that that was my memory at the time but I'd heard it was a big hit and it was a big monster movie and it looked it looked the way it did. So I was like, <laughs> holy cow. I, I could see this being a big hit in South Korea yeah. for sure. I mean, it's as an as a movie in English, I'd I'd say that this film has uh it, it likes to beat you over the head with a lot of stuff, but it really it's very spread out in this entire if I, I don't know. Did you guys feel like this movie felt long, but it really wasn't that long? It was a tiny bit long. Yeah. Yeah. How long is it? 99 minutes. Wow. That's yeah. it? Yeah, 99 minutes. Ooh. It did feel longer it felt than like that. a lot more yeah. than that. Yeah. yeah. There were times where I was like, well, you know, I guess a two-hour monster movie is, you know, I can deal with a two-hour monster movie. And then, nope. <laughs> it was 99 <laughs> minutes. So, uh, okay. So, what about you, Rachel? This is the first time you've seen this film. Yeah. First impressions. Uh, I think I, uh, I think that's kind of my reaction. The whole movie was what? <laughs> I, <laughs> I don't know. It just, uh, so overall not great. No, not good. Not. I'm good. actually really glad that you guys came on recently to talk about the, the your, your feelings about Shin Godzilla. Cause I kind of feel like yeah. this is an even worse example of some of those problems that you had with Shin Godzilla and the not, oh, yeah. not real. Yeah. Parts of it, you know. Yeah. So yeah, you seem like a little broken actually by this. I did, film. Yeah, it was it was rough. Uh, okay. <laughs> I just oh <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it, it definitely it kind of left me speechless. I I just the characters were horrible. <laughs> the the it's like hard to figure out where to start. But yeah, I just the story was completely confusing um and the like dream sequences that sometimes weren't and there was dreams on top of dreams and 
just and like the acting was horrendous <laughs> and the people were horrendous and the monsters sucked and yeah we're not quite on the negative aspects of the yeah but i mean i don't know what else to say uh, yeah. i guess, <laughs> I guess yeah <laughs> anyway okay so first impressions is a big yeah. thumbs down from rachel yeah. <laughs> charles i know <laughs> we're gonna get to the nitty-gritty of all this stuff later i'm sure but charles in first impressions what'd you think of dragon wars i am glad i saw it okay i had heard about this movie yeah and i've heard you know martin in the past kind of uh, talk a little excitedly about this movie. Wait, Martin's seen this movie? Did he, I show this to him? Well, he's acted like he's seen it, Damn and it. he acted. Huh. Uh, I, I got the impression he was he was kind of liked it, if but I might be wrong about that. On this episode, I know. Yeah, right? Darn it, Martin. Uh, uh, first impressions. I'm kind of impressed. Okay. Okay. You know huh. this. I mean, I, well, let's say, let's put it this way. I was impressed before I heard about the budget. Okay. <laughs> because I actually honestly thought this was going into it. I thought I was, I was about to watch, you know, something on the level of one of these, you know, uh, you know, $750,000 asylum, you know, giant CGI monster yes. movies. Yes. I honestly, that's what we were getting. And when you tell me that it's a $75 million movie, I was like really shocked. Um, because actually, that brings it down a notch for me. Had you told me that it was a $10 million movie, I was like, wow, this is pretty great for, you know, okay, okay. low budget. $75 million. I was like, okay, now, now, now it's not as impressive, but, <laughs> but I gotta say, I, I didn't hate it as much as Rachel. And, and mm. uh, I think there's, I think some positive points in it. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so for me, this is probably the third time I've seen Dragon Wars. I remember seeing it when I first was able to get a hold of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I don't remember exactly what my thoughts were, but I didn't have a lot of negative things to say and I didn't have a lot of positive things to say. It was just sort of what it was. And then the second time I watched Dragon Wars, I specifically remember thinking, man, the coordination that happened, that had to happen to put this movie together yeah, seems kind of amazing. Now I know that like, that's uh, that that's a generality that can be said with almost any movie like the amount of work it takes to put a movie together it it's almost impossible to think that a movie would even be made again a big generality uh this movie now know the budget was 75 million US dollars uh i it makes me wonder like okay so where did that money go like did they how much money did they spend to shoot in los angeles like <laughs> the fact that we watched a little bit of the special features of this film, right? Where they sort of give some behind the scenes stuff. And the director had apparently been told, Oh, you're never going to get a tank in downtown Los Angeles. But obviously everybody has their price, right? So like <laughs> what, how much of that 75 million us dollars went into greasing the palms of, uh, <laughs> you know, downtown Los Angeles, their, you know, their, their system to get tanks in there to be able to say like, oh, yes, uh, those silly Americans couldn't compete with our, <laughs> our strong, I don't even know what the <laughs> Korean currency is, but you know what I'm saying? Like, like, 
it's it's almost like now that I know that that's what happened or that's probably what happened, I feel like that money could have been spent so much better. And uh, but I, there are things I like about Dragon Wars. It's silly as hell, uh, and we're gonna get into all that stuff. So I, I think we should we should definitely rip the bandaid off. And let's talk about the bad first. <laughs> so, uh, and you know what? I am going to force you guys to choose one aspect of the movie that you hated the most. Oh, my so, word. Yeah. So get cranking right now. I will go ahead and say that uh, I don't think there is something that I hated in this film. It's just silly is what it is. I mean, you've got – the wor- maybe the worst thing about it is that it's got – um, have you ever seen the clip? Oh man, I'm not going to be able to remember this. If only Tag was here. There's a uh, one of the guys that worked on Star Wars is talking about um, George Lucas's vision for the uh, prequels, and he says like every frame it's so dense, there's so much going on. <laughs> yeah, which so is exactly Rick what you, Yeah, that's yeah. it. It's Rick McCollum. I'm yeah. almost positive. Anyway, uh, it's one of Tiger's favorite quotes from that because he <laughs> thinks it's so ridiculous. It is. I kind of felt like they were trying to do that with some of this stuff, especially the battles. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Holy crap, those battles. I definitely did not need that much. I mean, it was mm-hmm. it was exciting in a sense, but almost in like sort of a, a little kid exciting way where it it's like excessive. I oh wow, look at all this stuff I'm seeing on screen. But on in the long run, none of it really matters to the story, none of it really matters yeah. to the movie. It's sort of inconsequential. I fluff. I don't know. That's uh, yeah. that's sort of what I would say would be my negative aspect of this film. Too much, too much fluff. Maybe I know that's what we kind of. I but I kind of wanted in this movie. I'm not looking for something super deep. Uh, but what about you, Brian? What did, what did you hate the most about Dragon Wars? The writing. Oh, I was gonna say that. <laughs> Darn it! You stole mine. <laughs> it is just so incoherent. Um, <sighs> flashing back and forth and. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, yeah, just absolutely crazy. No sense of. I'm at a loss for words. I, <laughs> to I would even love describe to it. know actually how this movie's script was developed, because you know if uh, if it did really well in Korea, which I I don't know if the, it did or not. I don't what's know if the it did or not. So direct quote from Brian, it did really well in Korea. <laughs> but I'm just wondering if it did well in Korea. Is that because like Koreans? were able to really connect with it in some way, maybe the story that we weren't uh-huh. able to, or did they just ha- say, hell yeah, it's a great popcorn flick. It, well, it might've, they might've been excited that it looked like a big American action movie. That's, that could be enough to make people come and see a movie. You know, it's, it's not about the movie's actual quality. It's about that look maybe. And national, the, national pride. I mean, it's, yeah. it's a South Korean movie. Exactly. And yeah. South Korea doesn't produce these kinds of movies. Therefore, their first one, everybody's going to go see it yeah. in, in their hometown. Within nine days of its South Korean release, D-War attracted five million viewers, setting a national box office record for an opening weekend. Citation yeah. needed. Yeah. <laughs> Citation <laughs> needed. <laughs> um, my memory of the time period was that in South Korea, the film ended with first Korea, then the world. Like that's how much confidence they had that their movie was going to be <laughs> oh, wow. a global smash phenomenon. So when I actually saw it 
here in America, I was waiting for that title card at the end. I was like, I wonder if it says something like, I wonder if it has some huge confidence statement of like, didn't we just blow your mind? <laughs> yeah. It actually says here, hang on, I'm just, I hate reading directly from Wikipedia, but this is kind of interestingly uh, phrased here. The seemingly positive reaction from the Korean population, as indicated by the movie's box office success in Korea, was widely attributed to the film's appeal to Korean nationalism. A now actually hang on a sidestep. Sometimes nationalism just means having pride in one's country. It's not yeah, necessarily it, a negative yeah, thing. Yeah. Uh, a logical impression drawn from Shim's message at the end of the Korean version of this film. This is where it's in quotes. D war and I will succeed in the world market without fail. Accompanied by the Korean folk anthem. It says Ari Rang. I don't know how they say that. Uh, however, despite box office success, D-Wars was far from critically acclaimed by either Korean critics or the Korea or Korea's general public. Hmm. Uh, so really, really it's empty. Like the, yeah. everything is just very boisterous and uh, you know, <laughs> this, this movie really felt like one of those asylum pictures with a better budget. I mean, in the long run, that's what it felt like to me. Now, Rachel, now that I've <laughs> blabbed on for a little while, have you found something else to, fine tune your ire mm. and attack well since brian's still writing i'm gonna go acting okay <laughs> the acting was Be terrible uh, maybe his name starts with jason <laughs> did you did you tell me congratulations why didn't you congratulate me it's my birthday this. Dragon attack! Yeah. yeah. Such chemistry. Oh, yeah, man, just nailing it. <laughs> just, I don't remember what the dialogue was, but it didn't, it it led to a kiss and I was surprised. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember what it was, but it was something monotonous and, or not monotonous, uh, something. It, oh, just, he, he said, uh, we got to get you some real clothes or something like yeah, that. Yeah, and then she kissed him. Uh, the guy, dialogue didn't earn it, but it, it was like, well, we framed this shot this way <laughs> and they're in front of a sunset, so... I guess it looks like it's going to be a kiss shot. Let's just do it. Let's yeah. just do it. The, the guy's yeah. the guy's a brick wall. He, he was bad in Roswell. He's bad in everything. And you oh. saw them in the behind the scenes. He's flat in real life. <laughs> yeah, so. that's true. Just- <laughs> yeah, that's pretty rough. Yeah, um, I love the line where the the friend um, that gets killed early on. Spoiler alert. Uh, she she um, says she's looking at the reporter on the television with her with Sarah and she's like she's like oh he's so hot or something I don't remember what she said but something like isn't he attractive and I was like who is she talking about him like really well actually can I just, can uh, we say, talk about like the, the answer back oh you just watched the news for that guy right <laughs> right yeah oh, yeah. yes yes oh my gosh that's all we want <laughs> yeah that's it that same dude was in the American version of the gr- of Juon of the Grudge. Really? Yeah, oh, really? he was Sarah Michelle Geller's boyfriend in that. I movie. never saw oh. it. Oh. Another yeah. Sarah. <laughs> I pick up on a theme. <laughs> <laughs> I only work with Sarahs. <laughs> so Charles, what did you like least about Dragon? Mark? Like least, I I I mean I I would strive to pick something different than anybody else in the room. But 
Jason Bear's horrible. He, <laughs> he was the worst thing in this movie. I, I honestly think this movie would have been totally uh, tolerable, top notch. If he was replaced, he, I mean, everybody else was fine. I Craig Robinson's fine. He's yeah. just being Craig Robinson, and he's yeah. he wasn't as flat as everybody else. You have little cameos from Retta and other people yeah. that are actually amusing. Yeah, I, I thought and, the, a lot of the cast, the the low, you know, the lower and, rung cast, and, and yeah, were, were and For, uh, yeah. Uh, Robert Forster was fine. I mean, yeah. he wasn't. I mean, he wasn't magnificent, but he wasn't. He wasn't as bad as. Jason Bear. I this guy was <laughs> so horrible. Uh I'm struggling to even think of anything worse than him. He's the one thing that was every time he was on screen, I was like, uh, just I couldn't take anymore. <laughs> there were other elements that made up for it. In the okay, all right. we'll get to that. Well, how about we get to that now? We'll just go ahead and swing into the positive stuff. Rachel, if you don't if you just want me to skip over this part for you. <laughs> I that's came okay. up with something. Did you? Okay. All right. Well let's let's actually just wind yeah. back around because you you liked Dragonborn very much. I, I in some ways. I, yeah, and actually in a lot of ways. You know, I I I kinda like the design of the creatures. Mm-hmm. I like I like the um the good effort on on the 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 effects and everything, which, which by the way, I think that's where the money went because in that behind the scenes feature, it said he started his own special effects company to do all of this stuff in, in South Korea there. So he turned an art school into an effects company that, where yeah, they did yeah. all these miniature effects, which were, that was pretty cool. I thought the miniatures, so, I thought the miniatures were very, in a good way, obviously miniatures. Like when you saw a lot of those buildings explode, there's a, there's a handful. I didn't even spot as miniatures. I, of course, might not have been paying attention because Jason Bear would pop up on screen and I'd get distracted. <laughs> uh, uh, anger would just flush over my face. Um, but but the uh, uh, even the, the the CGI stuff didn't bother me that much. I mean, it's, okay. again, I'm thinking, oh, this is pretty good for an asylum movie. Yeah, yeah. But you know, you tell me seventy five million dollars, and I'm like, oh, okay, well, I guess they could have put a few extra you know minutes into rendering that thing, but. Uh, anyways, um, I think the, I think the, the, going back to the design, I like actually the fact that some of this creature design, especially at the end when we, we see the spoilers, uh, for the, uh, uh, the, the, the final dragon that we see, the actual dragon that we see. Yeah. Yeah. I like the fact that, you know, we, with something we don't see too often is, is sort of a, a realized, you know, Asian dragon, you know, and I, I, I actually appreciated seeing that stuff. I, I thought that the creature design was, for with one exception, I thought the creature design was fantastic. <laughs> the doddler, the doddler, no, yeah, the doddler. Yeah. It's like I, I don't. It doesn't make sense to me. No. It's got two legs. It looks no, like no. It, it's missing a pair of legs. Yes, so, but it was <laughs> a little weird. But anyway, yeah. uh, aside from that, I thought that the creature design was great. You, uh, the <laughs> the Lord of the Ringsy stuff, oh, though, you know, a little out of place. But it seems a little out of place, but I liked what he said in the behind the scenes features, where he said like, "I wanted this to to have a Korean vibe, but I wanted it to feel like it could be European in some yeah. ways." So uh, you know, multi mu- multicultural yeah, influences, multicultural, yeah, for yeah. sure, and that absolutely absolutely harkened back to watching you know like the battles in Lord of the Rings and stuff like that. So. Uh, I'm not going to fault them for that. Actually, I, I kind of like you, I appreciate the effort, especially that they put into it. Yeah, I wish that the story had been better, <laughs> much, much, much better. Uh, but 
the story is not something that that bothers me. It's just confusing. You know, I'm guilty of watching many confusing films, so I don't <laughs> necessarily knock something for for uh, being confusing. I'm surprised as hell that it like opened here in America. It see, although yeah, it seems it does seem like the kind of thing like where somebody would say like I don't even care if the critics go to see it like just open it it's gonna be a big hit <laughs> yeah. I'm that confident in it that's, I mean that dude seemed to have that okay kind of you worked at a theater yeah. Brian mm-hmm. how, did it play for more than a weekend I mean how no, long was it really. in your theater it, uh, most movies would last like a, about a month if that was like the lowest run you'd get just you know because people would straggle and we were a 16 screen theater the one that I was working at, at the time. So, uh, yeah, it lasted maybe even less than a month at that. It was, it was in and out very fast. No big audiences. The opening weekend, there was nobody there. I mean, it was, it probably did very poorly here in America. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, I'm sorry. I'm not trying to laugh at the Korean film doing poorly in America. I'm just thinking about the, that confidence and the, what I'm sure was the eventual carpet that got pulled out from under. That guy. Uh, so we out really quick, though, that same director, right? You mm-hmm. asked earlier if it was oh, anyone yeah. who had done anything of note. Mm-hmm. So the, uh, the director's name is Hyung Rae Shim. Mm-hmm. And did anybody take a guess as to what he directed in the past? Porn. We saw it recently, and it is from Korea. Uh-oh. Yes, you have forgotten already. Is it the uh, horror of the new Yungari yeah. reptilian? Oh, okay, I watched that one. Okay, he directed that. Yeah, that was that was his previous huh. movie. Yeah. Wow. Oh. Yes. Okay. So <laughs> what's he done since? Since Dragon Wars, D Wars, whatever this thing called. Well, I don't um, really know off the top of my head because they don't have. Uh, the internet at my fingertips. That's a lie. Uh, well, he's he's working on a new version of it, apparently, although I don't see anything on the internet. Oh, that's it. true. It's only been 10 years, so it's time to remake D-Wars. Yeah. I think, it's a, I think it might be a sequel. But uh, he did something called The Last Godfather, a.k.a. The Dumb Mafia, in 2010. But Comedy? I'm guessing because it says The Dumb Mafia, but yeah. I'm not sure. The, uh, the But Yungari was before that, so yeah. He's sort of on a cycle. 1999 was Yungari, and 2007 was Dragon War. So, a film every yeah. uh, eight to ten years. That's the Stanley see. Kubrick pace. Take about <laughs> eight to ten years. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, what else did what did you like about it? So the thing I came up with is that on the side of a building, at one point, they had this shot. <laughs> Where there was a bunch of the smaller flighted dragon-like creatures. Uh-huh. Um, little yeah, little bat kind of guys, like, all over the building. And it reminded me of the Legion in the second camera mm-hmm. movie. Yes. So, and the, so your favorite thing so, so far is a thing that reminded thing, you of be, a thing because of another I movie? I thought of the okay. camera series, and yep. I love that series, and so it made me happy. <laughs> it so reminded that me of the was a positive scene. moment for me. Yeah. Yeah, I hear you. Yeah, ya. so that I'm so glad that's you came up I, with something though. Right? I got. <laughs> yeah. I really am glad. That, yeah, that 
that it wasn't a total loss for you. You know, it was, yeah, it was close. It was close. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, Brian, you've seen it um, twice now. Yeah. Did you find anything of note in the first or second screening? Perhaps in the second screening that made you appreciate something from the first screening more? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> or just did you like anything? <laughs> Well, uh, I I hate to say it's so good it's bad. That that's kind of an annoying thing for me. But you mean it's so bad it's good? Which, whatever. <laughs> but you clearly uh, can't mean it's so yeah. good it's bad. <laughs> that, yeah, I guess you're right. So bad. So bad, so bad. Um, this movie is kind of like that because it's it's such a wild train wreck that you're just kind of like, oh my god, like this is amazing. How bad this is. Uh, it is really astonishingly bad in a plan nine kind of way. Sure. I, and, uh, the writing though. Yeah. The most part. Yeah. And, 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 and I, it is sort of impressive that they pulled off the level of effects that they did. I mean, they definitely, I, I, if I didn't know when it was made, I would be like, well, they have seen the Lord of the Rings movies and they've seen Phantom Menace. That's for sure. So I would put it after those, you know, it's, that that's impressive on a certain level. I kind of said that in a disparaging way because I don't really like those effects. I don't like big CGI stuff, but it looks way more legitimate than some legitimate American movies that try the same well, thing. So you know, and it's funny you bring up Plan Nine because I think the things that this movie has in common with that are there's a sincerity by the filmmaker. Mm-hmm. It's it's um that you I mean that's missing from even like big budget legit Hollywood, yeah. Hollywood movies where yeah. they're very cynical. I mean, this guy's trying, you know, He's and really Ed, poured Ed his Wood, heart into it. Yeah. Ed Wood was trying, he poured his heart into it. Mm-hmm. That's why playing nine is not the worst movie ever made. No, not at it's all. Quite enjoyable. Yeah. This movie, I, you know, I could watch it again. Yeah. I'm yeah. not saying it's great. There's some huge problems, obviously. And <laughs> if I could CG out Jason bear, I would. That's where, that's where the, that's where the uh, rest of the $75 million should have gone. But anyways. It, yeah. I, is I, when you say that plan nine is not a bad movie, I agree. I, I don't think that's a bad movie. I think it is enjoyably bad, you know? And, and like I say, I, I kind of cringe when people say it's so bad, it's good, but there is some truth to that when there's something that ha- is so earnest, you know, that, it it is kind of admirable and this is this is sort of a fun movie to watch and kind of mock a little bit yeah. not in a mean-spirited way because it does really I, try I, hard maybe so. in a mean-spirited way well which when rachel seems does like it the no. <laughs> well, I, i'll own it it's cool i actually i actually <laughs> i know nothing sure. even though i've got tiny connections to the new mystery science theater i I would hope that they grab this one because oh, yeah. this one seems perfect. Totally well, uh, you guys, true. there may not be a need for that because apparently there's a Rift Tracks version. Oh, there it is. Oh. So I would absolutely well, watch a Rift Tracks version of this. That might be the only way I would yeah. rewatch this. You know, kind I have of a strong we- connection to the Mystery Science Theater thing, right? Uh, it's a tiny connection. No, I have a strong connection. Oh. My cousin is Crow T. Robot. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Holy cow. Yeah, so That anyway. was a funny face that Charles <laughs> made. <laughs> I should figure out a way to keep that in. The uh yeah, but the, no, I totally agree. They should grab this or they should go if they're not going for classics. They they should totally go for classics, mm-hmm. but uh if they're not going for classics, this would be a good one. 
Oh, come on. You could go back to the original MST. Oh, we shouldn't digress too much. But the original <laughs> MSTK 3K, they didn't ha- they didn't do too many like classics. There there's a lot of movies that were probably only like 5 years old when they did them. Oh, sure. But I mean like uh like I have a very specific couple of movies in mind from like 1967 that would be perfect for the new oh, Mystery Science Theater well. 3000. I don't know if uh, yeah. my cousin needs my input. Well, yeah, well, we'll <laughs> all find out at the show. same time. What a jerk. Anyways. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, uh, yeah, I mean, we can kind of move on or talk about anything else. I think the – I was aside from the Mystery Science Theater thing, I did want to get you guys a sort of feel for – if there was a sequel to this that actually got made, because I think they are planning it. I was hoping they had already been shooting it, but no such luck, so I guess. But uh, would you be excited to see a sequel to this, you know, made in 2000? Actually, I'm going to say 18. You know, quite honestly, I'll, I'm willing to sit through anything this director has done uh, for a follow-up here. And not just a sequel to this movie. I mean, you know, the gangster movie you mentioned. Now I'm curious. I would even be willing to check that out. A sequel made by somebody else, maybe yeah. not so much. Okay. Uh, it, this movie reminded me of Big Ass Spider a uh, little, a yeah. little more than say uh, the Asylum films. Yeah. Although I think that the the vibe for comedy was more in line with the, the Asylum films than Big Ass Spider because Big Ass Spider was more overtly like this is funny. Yeah, know? they they tried harder to be funny. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, other than that, I mean, it was funny to see all that stuff happen in Los Angeles. And I felt like I was like, I feel like that is the building that the big ass spider was crawling. I think it was. Yeah. Yeah. Liberty building. (laughs) Wherever they had the helicopter to get them to the next part of the story. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So what else do we want to talk about regarding Dragon Wars? (laughs) <laughs> what else did you love about it, Charles? I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I don't know how much bad. more. You, I, I don't know it how was, much more you could even get into this movie. It's it's it falls it falls apart story wise, and and there's some horrible acting, and and those two things you got to have those two things to really carry you through, and you know. Sure, sure. I mean, I well, I I would say this because this movie came out in 2007, right? I will also say that I have had very little sleep and I've been traveling, so <laughs> I haven't had a lot of time to actually put into the research on this film. However, because this movie came out in 2007, I feel like if somebody wanted to do a deep dive, you could do it. You'd have that information available to you now because oh, yeah. it's still on the internet as opposed to something from 67, mm-hmm. like where yeah. maybe some documents have been scanned or, or photographed or whatever, but this time – if we really wanted to see what the director had to say, we could have sat down and watched that entire like behind the scenes thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know Sci-Fi Japan has a they have their uh, press notes like article. It's huge. It's a really? massive article. So I did not get a chance to read it, but there's plenty <laughs> of stuff out there. What would be smart of me is uh, is if any of you as studious listeners out there wanted to learn more about this, I should be smart and put the stuff in the uh, put that stuff in the show notes so you can read it on your own. Ah, so final thoughts, Brian. Um, I would kind of recommend it. I mean, it's just it is such a enjoyably watchable train wreck. Uh. The finale, that ending, the final act in like the hellscape with the big, you know, building and the sacrificial altar 
and I believe they're sacrificing her to bring forth the snake that's been torturing them for the entire movie, if I'm not mistaken. I that's kind of what I thought. I don't know how that works yeah. exactly. Wasn't she supposed to turn the snake? Oh, into it's into a the evil dragon. Oh. That's that's what was going to happen. Now it turns into the evil dragon. Okay. The good snake got her, so the good dragon came. Yeah, out. so they turned it. Yeah. Oh. Did I just? Sort of stumble along the you message just, of the you movie figured there. It so. out. You figured it out. Mm, and cobbled so. it together from but, this rudimentary puzzle pieces that is Dragon Wars. <laughs> yeah, it's visually uh, kind of impressive and worth watching in that regard. So, especially if you are a mystery science theater or riff tracks kind of person. I know when when we screened this at the theater that I worked at, there was a bunch of people that watched it with me who were working there, and I just loudly made comments the whole time, and everyone <laughs> was really enjoying it. Because um, after like 20 minutes, I realized, oh, this is a train wreck, so I'm just going to start making fun of this. But And that was really fun. Everyone had a really good time. So. Nice, nice. So I would also suggest doing that. Like- yeah. Getting your friends together and watch it. Don't watch don't this. Take, don't take it serious. Don't watch this alone, <laughs> folks. <laughs> friends, yeah. don't let friends watch Dragon Wars alone. Rachel. Yeah. I thought of another spot that made me think of King Kong, which I love, where Sarah was in a white, had a white sweater on, and she was like tied up to the thing. And was going to be sacrificed, and I was like, "Hey, it's kind of like King Kong, and the, the like fairy kind of, yeah, like exactly." The doors, yeah. And then there's another moment that's like Temple of Doom right after that. That I was like, "Hey, I like Temple of Doom," but you, you know, Raiders, Raiders, Raiders yeah. oh Raiders, Close yeah, we know what you meant. Marianne. You know what I mean? It's so, all yeah. So how about how about the practical effects that existed in the film? Uh, like the elephant. Yeah, I thought that was funny. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, dead elephant, hilarious slash enjoyable. Uh, it was it was a funny idea. It was funny. <laughs> it, I, yeah. I do kind of wonder, like when when you bring an idea like this to, I'm not going to say an American studio, but an American co-producer, I'm guessing, and say, okay, we want to get these actors in here. How much input do they get into their scenes? Like the comedian who was the zookeeper, yeah. right? Like, yeah, yeah. He, that he had to have had input on how that was written. Well, you know, I okay, and I don't know if the director can even speak English because we only saw him speaking mm-hmm. Korean. But, but that that's a big uh, that, that's something that contributes uh, to a per- person's performances is if you if you hire the right actor. Uh, they can do the performance and bring a lot to it without the director giving them a lot. But then you have other people that are going to need everything they can get from the director. And if the director can't communicate that, then you end up with Jason Bear. So, <laughs> so, so I, I think that's what, that's a case where there was probably a language barrier. That performer, uh, Billy Gardella or whatever his name is, he, uh, he brought a lot to it because he's a, you know, he's a funny guy. And so that was all him, I think, without yeah. a lot of director. No, I completely agree. Yeah. You know, and I think a little bit of Craig Robinson, you know, it was just him coming through, just him. Mm-hmm. And he's mm-hmm. inherently funny. So, so that worked. For sure. But, you know, I, I think everybody else <laughs> had issues because they didn't, they didn't know where to go with it. So flip side of yeah. this, I really wonder what the 
Korean version of this is like, much in the same way that yeah. I am very interested in seeing, God help me, the Korean version of Yungari, or the Korean version of Reptilian, known mm. as Yungari. Yeah. My I, God, let's hope I someday actually do come <laughs> across it, and it's not the most horrible thing I've ever seen. But, well, yeah. my my dream yeah. is that the CGI is in Yungari is uh, covering up an actual practical suit Yungari. Oh, th- dude! Since <laughs> since that episode, I have seen more photos of like practical suits that were apparently used during the filming uh, of that movie. <sighs> anyway. Uh, <laughs> So should we just, I mean, who else has final thoughts on this movie? I I don't have much else to say. I actually, I like Brian. I kind of recommend it. I actually, you know, I could sit, I could sit through this again. I'm, I'm now I'm going to look out for the Rift Tracks version. That's kind of, I will have awesome, a link in the show so. notes to the Rift Tracks one. Yeah. Uh, okay. So final thoughts for me would be this movie actually exists in a place where I don't really consider it a kaiju film. But when Blockbuster and Hollywood videos were going out of, you know, out of business and they had their fire sales or whatever you want to call those things where you could pick up the DVDs for cheap. And I saw this on the, on the shelf. I did not hesitate at all. I immediately grabbed it <laughs> because I knew that I should have it in my collection. And I guess that really does speak something. I won't, I won't say volumes, maybe a single volume to Dragon Wars as a film that you should have in your collection or at least check out. Because, honestly, I do kind of feel like it's so bad it's good in some <laughs> respects. Yes. But don't expect something that you're going to really enjoy, if, especially if you don't have friends to watch it with. <laughs> watch it with some friends for the love of God. Uh, anyway, so, yeah, dude, thank you guys for coming over. And uh, we did get a couple people who sent in their homework, so this is how that went. Stefan says, the worst acting alien from the TV series Roswell must protect Sarah, not Connor, a.k.a. the girl with the dragon tattoo, and her Yu-Gi-Oh! from giant snakes and an evil army, which can seemingly teleport between America and Mordor, starring everybody of those actors who seem to be in every TV series. This was probably the most stupid, but the most awesome movie that the Kaiju cast has made Stefan watch. Normally, when people say the story is bad, but the effects are worth the watch, it's simply not true. You have seen the same thing in much better movies. Stefan doesn't ever think he's seen a snake eating elephants or an army riding on dinosaur-like creatures shooting down helicopters. He would very much recommend this if there was a version where every scene without special effects has been cut out of the presentation. Don't worry about the comprehensibility. It's incomprehensible from the start. Even the beginning with the heavy exposition packed in in a flashback section even enhances this and is a good example of a webcomic XKCD's joke. The probability that a book is good is greatly reduced with the number of words made up by the author. Also, apparently Code 3 seems to be the police code for a giant snake wrapping itself around a skyscraper. Adam says Dragon Wars, or D-War, is a South Korean production written and directed by Hyung Rae Shim, and it is admittedly ambitious and not without its fun moments. But to be honest, it's a mess of a film that tries to blind you with special effects and extravagant set pieces, but is hollow, unsatisfying, and makes no sense. The script is as sloppy as any Adam has seen in a while. The whole backstory with the ancient Korean legend lost Adam almost straight away with its overly complicated rules and Korean names for people and things that Adam then found hard to associate with anything. 
The Eastern mysticism, ancient wars, dragons, orbs, and stuff just went straight over Adam's head and was so hard to make any sense of that by the time the film was nearing its end, Adam wasn't sure what was happening, why it was happening, or what significance it would have. There are gaping holes in the narrative. How does the evil Imugi control its army? Where was the good Imugi when Los Angeles was being destroyed, and why couldn't it have come to the rescue earlier, like 500 years earlier? Who is the evil Imugi general guy? Do we really need flashbacks within a flashback? And where did the army come from? Where have they been for these last 500 years? Why hasn't the good Imugi got an army? How can a giant snake slither all over Los Angeles and people not notice or keep track of it? Where does the end of this film take place? How is Ethan meant to get back home? Why couldn't that pendant thing just destroy Baraki's army to start with? If the evil army and those flying creatures want Sarah alive, why did they seemingly keep trying to kill her by spitting fireballs at her car? There are so many questions unanswered. So much narrative seems missing that it's impossible to take anything meaningful away from this movie. Also, what are the moments of humor all about? An old woman walking into a fence? That evil warlord guy getting run over and that security guard at the zoo just feels so out of place. He does admit that the one aspect where the movie sometimes succeeds is its set pieces and special effects. The final half of the film is non-stop monster mayhem as the forces of the evil Imugi battle it out against the military might of the U.S. in Los Angeles, which is great fun. From slow lumbering monsters walking through the streets taking on the tanks, to flying creatures that fight helicopters, to the huge Imugi who gets to trash a car park and wrap itself around a skyscraper while causing all sorts of destructive havoc, the special effects and CGI computer graphics look all right, actually. The set pieces have a certain imagination and charm. They're certainly memorable, and if watching giant monsters trash Los Angeles appeals to you, then you could do worse than Dragon Wars slash D-War. Being a family-friendly PG-rated film, there's no excessive gore or violence, although there are a few tame martial arts battles at the start. With a supposed budget of about $70 million, this apparently took five years to complete and was the first Korean film in over 30 years to receive a wide theatrical release in the States where, it has to be said, it didn't particularly impress. The acting is really bad, and is full of bland and bad performances, especially Jason Bear, who's a terrible leading man here. Dragon Wars slash D-War is a terrible fantasy film that rips off much better fantasy films and is just one big mess but it has some undeniably cool set pieces and effects, even though they did start to blur into each other by the end of the film. Watchable in a so-bad-it's-good kind of way. P.S. It's better than Yungari, but not by much. This is the second time Mike Keller has seen Dragon Wars since its 2007 theatrical release, and he believes that the ability to enjoy it, or not, will be greatly affected by whether or not the viewer has seen Reptilian. If they have then D-War will probably shock and amaze at what an incredibly substantial leap forward in quality and on all fronts it portrays. If they haven't, then the most positive thing one is likely to state about the film is that it's a somewhat entertaining slice of eye candy. The fact is that Reptilian was so utterly abysmal that one could improve on it a thousandfold, which is what has happened here, but only succeed in elevating the product to a level of mere mediocrity. So, Mike says that this time we merely have... I've seen worse level acting instead of so bad that they haven't even invented puns yet for how terrible this is level acting. Instead of a convoluted and ridiculous plot, we have a convoluted and ridiculous plot just not as much as before. 
And in place of the near non-existent production values and special effects, we have something that's actually not too bad. In fact, Mike was impressed at just how well much of the film's CGI has held up, with only a few scant shots coming off as ropey or below Asylum Films level. It helps that the monster designs in this film are actually pretty snazzy. Mike likes to think that even if he hadn't seen Reptilian, he would still appreciate this film's brisk pace. It jumps almost immediately to the point and doesn't let up, and also doesn't commit the sin of going on too long. Action-wise, Mike has to admit that D-War packs some, dare he say it, spectacular action scenes, especially during the whole Battle of Los Angeles sequence. Alright, so enough of the good stuff. Story-wise, this thing is a mess, though Mike wouldn't go as far as to say that he found any of it confusing. A flashback inside of a flashback? That's just bad filmmaking 101. Large sections of untranslated Korean dialogue? What's up with that? Did it bother anyone else that Ethan's buddy at the office always seems to be having phone sex on the job? Did anyone catch the scene shortly after we meet Sarah where her friend thinks that taking her out to a local bar for a beer will cheer her up? Nothing wrong with that, of course. As long as you're of legal age. And this movie made a specific point of telling us that she was only 19 more than once. How is it that Jack, our resident Obi-Wan slash Merlin slash John Carradine stand-in, knew Sarah's first name, but not her last name? Hell, David Copperfield could have probably gotten more info than that. Why does Jack save Sarah outside the bar and then just bug her off? Mike liked it when everybody in the FBI building started getting ready for action and then one of the dudes popped out of his office pumping a shotgun. It looked like a scene from American Dad. Where was the climax supposed to be taking place? Was that just some convenient swath of land in Mexico with a makeshift celestial temple, or were they in some other dimension? If the latter, then could someone please send a supernatural taxi to get Ethan back home? And finally, what is Elizabeth Pena doing in this movie? Okay, Mike will follow all that up with another positive thing. He liked the fact that the big bad was the monster itself and not some evil humanoid wizard as is so often the case in these types of fantasy movies. In a Western Hemisphere film, the Darth Vader slash Sauron slash Rutger Hauer looking dude would have been the main baddie and the serpent would have been his subordinate instead of the other way around. In conclusion, it's unfortunate that director Shim has not made another film since 2010's Last Godfather. If he could make this much of an improvement in the seven years between Reptilian and D-War, who knows how far he could reach in a future effort. Andrew says, Ah, Dragon Wars. Truly a milestone in kaiju cinema. Andrew first picked up this film from his local blockbuster video during its going out of business sale. Yo, dude, high five. I did the same thing. Being eight years old at the time... Oh, okay, never mind. I take that back. I remove my high five. It's needless to say he watched it obsessively for months after he purchased it. He supposes the joy D-War brought him when he was younger clouded his memory of the actual film because after watching it for the first time in almost 10 years, he couldn't help but cringe. D-War's interesting premise and exciting monster battles are heavily outweighed by all of its downfalls. The story is disjointed and bursting at the seams with plot holes, like what was with the symbols Sarah hung up around her living room. The pacing is a mess, and Andrew wanted to turn off his DVD player 40 minutes in because of how tragically bad the romantic subplot was. The film's only redeeming qualities were in the last 30 minutes or so. The L.A. battle looked pretty solid for a low-budget film, and the showdown in Discount Mordor was actually pretty exciting, minus some pretty god-awful green screen shots. Still, after finding out D-Wars was directed by the same person responsible for Reptilian, Andrew can't say he's all that surprised. 
What does surprise him is the existence of a sequel to D-War, titled D-War 2, Mysteries of the Dragon, which is slated for a release in mid-2017. Andrew is stunned that a sequel made it past the initial pitch, but out of pure nostalgia, he will see it and hopes that it's at least marginally better than the first one. Overall, Andrew gives Dragon Wars two useless Imugi necklaces out of ten. He might recommend this to a kaiju newbie if said kaiju newbie is under ten years old. Michael J. first saw this movie during the post-Final Wars Dark Ages of Cinema. At the time, he was convinced that if Final Wars hadn't put the final nail in the kaiju coffin, then Dragon Wars did. Luckily, Pacific Rim and Gareth Edwards' Godzilla would rectify this years later. After viewing this movie nine years later, have Michael's opinions changed? Now that we live in a post-Birdemic world? Yes. Yes, they have. Dragon Wars itself may be the Birdemic or Room of kaiju films. Are there other films in this genre with worse effects, story, and or acting? Of course, but D-Wars seems to blend them all in just the right way. The one thing that it has going for it over the room, or Birdemic, though, is actual stars. This movie gives audiences very puzzling performances by David Lynch alumni Robert Forster, Michael Seamus Wiles, and Chris Mulkey. Greg Robinson's character was an added bonus as well. As for the story, it's decent. The flashbacks seemed like we may have been seeing a better film. For a brief moment, Michael felt like he was watching a bizarre Magic Serpent remake. Writer-slash-director Hyung Rae Shim obviously doesn't know about intricacies of American life, like having to be 21 to drink in a bar. Sarah is 19 going on 20, and yet she goes to drink with her friend. Michael was 20 in 2007, and he calls shenanigans. Michael can only imagine actress Amanda Brooks on set talking this over with Hyung Rae Shim and being silenced in a similar manner to the cast of Troll 2 who weren't allowed to help with Americanizing the script. The kaiju scenes are varied in quality, some looking really good while others look downright laughable. One thing that stuck in Michael's craw was being denied full-fledged dragons until the end. Even though the audience only gets to see one dragon, Michael did enjoy it since it resembled a classic Asian design. He wouldn't recommend this film to kaiju fans unless they seem to be running out of films to view and already have an appreciation for the so-bad-it's-good cinema. As for newbies, no way. And there you have it, our Daikaiju discussion, our final Daikaiju discussion for 2017, actually. Uh, we're not going to have one for January because things are going a little too fast at the end of this month. The very beginning of the next month is when I'm heading off with the uh, KaijuCast Fanvasion crew to go to Tokyo. So what we're going to do instead of having our live broadcast, the emergency broadcast, in the middle of the month, we're going to set that up for the end of January. So keep on the lookout for information about that as it happens. Now we are going to take a small music break before we come back with the news. Uh, one of the listeners, Michael J., had requested a song. If you've been around for a while, you've heard us play something by Jimmy Castor. He did a King Kong tune, but apparently he also did a Godzilla song. So we're going to get a little funky and jam out to the tunes of Jimmy Castor's Godzilla. Attention, please. Attention, please. Godzilla is now approaching Tokyo. Please evacuate city. Women and children
United Nations reporter Eric Carter with the news. The world is stunned to discover that prehistoric creatures exist in the 20th century. The armies have been alerted as we wait for more news from Japan. Okay, there are definitely not very many news stories that I wanted to touch on this episode, but there are some that I think are important, especially if you like to support local events that have a tokusatsu vibe in your area. So, the first thing that I wanted to talk about is that Legendary's Godzilla and Pacific Rim sequels have gotten new slash names. According to ComingSoon.net, the new title of Godzilla 2 will be Godzilla King of the Monsters, and the previously titled Pacific Rim Maelstrom will now be called Pacific Rim Uprising. Now, there's not too much more to know about that. The only thing that I can't remember if we've spoken about is that the director was chosen for the second Godzilla movie. If you've seen Legendary Pictures' Krampus film, director Michael Doherty made that for Legendary, and they have tapped him to take on Godzilla now that Gareth Edwards is no longer on the project. Speaking of, you know, a, a lot of people know that I'm not a fan of Gareth Edwards from his work on Godzilla and Monsters. I saw Rogue One over the Christmas holiday, and I have to say I was extremely impressed with what he was able to pull off with Disney's help. So, good job, Gareth Edwards, and, uh, you know, I, I do look forward to seeing something more from you in the future. Moving right along to that local stuff I was talking about, Ultraman movies are being shown in U.S. theaters, you guys. Both the Ginga movie and the Ultraman X movie are being kind of shown in sort of like a double feature. I'll have a link in the show notes to articles on SciFiJapan.com where you can check out information about the films that are playing. I know that they've been keeping close tabs on that. Please go out, see those movies, prove to the American theatrical distribution companies out there that showing movies, showing Japanese special effects movies in America is a good idea. So check the link in the show notes for those articles. Also Subaraya related, looks like Ultraman Orb, which is the series that I just talked about in the last episode. Ultraman Orb is getting a movie, which is not a big surprise after the previous two series have also had their movies come out too. Sci-Fi Japan has some more information and high-res photos from the upcoming film, so check that out in the show notes. Next up, also on Sci-Fi Japan, apparently Funimation has acquired the rights to release Attack on Titan Season 2, that's the animated series, with a premiere set for April of 2017. There will be a link in the show notes to the Sci-Fi Japan article about that as well. Make sure you head over to these places where we're linking, guys. They're the ones that do the real legwork on these articles. And last but not least, a little toy news from my fellow toy nerds out there. X-Plus has released their Shin Godzilla figure. Actually, mine is on its way here to the KaijuCast HQ. I'm kind of hoping it, it gets here before I leave for Japan. I'm really excited about that. But in addition to their Shin Godzilla figure... Previously, I can't remember if we talked about this on the podcast, but there was going to be a special release of their figure by Katakawa in a magazine sort of mook situation. That got canceled because they didn't get enough pre-orders, which is kind of silly and hilarious now that the movie has come out and so much buzz has been garnered about the film. That, that actually makes more sense for them to actually relaunch this sort of project. I don't think they're including a mook with it. But you can get the luminous purple Shin Godzilla figure from X-Plus and Premium Bandai in March of 2017. This is going to be an unpainted but glow-in-the-dark purple version of the X-Plus figure with his mouth open. So, 
Uh, I'll have a link in the show notes to Sci-Fi Japan, who has an article about that. Additionally, X Plus is also releasing, if you remember last year, right around this time, they announced the Train Biter, which is what, I don't really know how to say this. We, as a collecting community, have sort of dubbed this the Train Biter. It's this X Plus 54 that was sculpted by uh, Mr. Oyama, who works for Kaibutsuya. It's got a train in his mouth. It's got a super cool base. The Rick version, the internet exclusive version, came with that base. The standard version did not. But it was in black and white. They are releasing a color version. Not only are they releasing a color version, they're releasing a color version with light-up fins. So if you missed out on that initial release, make sure to check out Sci-Fi Japan's link for the Train Biter color version that will be coming out a little later this year. I don't want to say those are the kinds of things that make me regret buying things when they first come out because that's sort of the dangers of collecting. You never know when something's going to get reissued. But man, it does look pretty awesome. And you know, that's going to do it for this particular episode. We had a great quick discussion with our friends here. I actually really enjoyed watching Dragon Wars with them. I'm totally going to check out the Rift Tracks entry of that at some point in my life. Like I said, we don't have a Daikaiju discussion for January 2017, but keep an eye out for some of the big changes that are going to be happening to the KaijuCast website and, of course, for the emergency broadcast that will be happening at the end of January. If you're unfamiliar with the emergency broadcasts, ugh, make sure you just keep an eye on it. We do a live show every year. It's sort of an annual party kind of thing where we broadcast the show live. We have a chat room for the listeners. We give away stuff. It's a ton of fun. We have special guests come on the show. So I hope that you will enjoy that when we do it. We are going to close the show out with one final request. Michael Deke, who has been sending in his homework recently, was unable to do so for Dragon Wars. So he does have a music request. He wants to hear one of his favorite Ultraman, Ultramen, Ultras, Ultra 7, because 2017 marks Ultra 7's 50th anniversary. The fact that he will appear in the Ultraman Orb movie and Koji Moritsugu will reprise his role of Dan Moriboshi in the film it's only natural that he would like to request something to honor good old Agent 340. He would like to request Ultra 799 by Isao Sasaki from the Heisei Ultra 7 series. So we will close out on that note. And until 2017, Jamata. Oh!